This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And yo, it's time. Put our hands together. Hip hop, hip hop. Because we want to talk about y'all is hip hop. The stories of hip-hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who inside of them the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better, and ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. All right, my name is Bettina Love. I am an educator, I'm a hip hop educator, and I'm originally from Rochester, New York. Ready or not, here I come, you can't hide. Gonna find you and take it slowly. I think the first song would be probably a Ready or Not by the Fugees. That song for me is probably the first time I heard a female MC that I actually identified with at a certain particular time in my life. Of course, I'd heard Roxanne Chante, Salt and Pepper. I've heard all those guys, but I wasn't at an age yet to really understand what was going on. I'm 16 years old. I'm at one of my best friend's house. We're all listening to music, having a good time, playing cards. And my friend at that time, she was also an MC, female MC. And she said to us, guys, you gotta hear this, you gotta hear this. And we're like, okay. And she turns on Ready or Not. First of all, when the beat just drops, it's just hypnotizing. The song comes on and there she is just singing, Ready or Not, here I come. And I remember all five or seven of us just stopping everything we were doing, looking at each other like, this is it. We have been waiting for this day. Her voice was just, I mean, it was just so smooth. It was like candy. Then for her to rap. I play my enemies like a game of chess where I rest. No stress, stress. if you don't smoke sense. Less, I must confess, my destiny's manifest. There's some cortex and sweats. I make tracks like I'm homeless. Rap orgies with Orgy and Bess. Capture your bounty like Elliot Ness. Yes, bless you if you represent the food. But I hex you with some witch's brew if you do do. Voodoo, I could do what you do. Easy. Believe me, frontin' niggas give me heebie-jeebie. So why you imitating Al Capone? I be needing some she was on the microphone rapping with two males and you could just distinctly know she was the best. And then you can put her against anybody, any MC, male or female, and she was the best. I had never heard a female rap like that. And it was not even that she was just rapping, she was demanding control. And she just says, ready or not, here I come. I'm coming into this industry. Well, she had already been in this industry, but I, she was new to me. Coming in, I'm taking over, and there's nothing 
you can do about it. I can do this. This is easy. Believe me, right? She, she's saying that I can do this. I can hang with these guys. And on top of that, she was so hip hop. She was so battling. She was so, she was so this arrogance, but also this grace, this confidence. And from that moment, I was just hooked. Once I heard that song, I, I wanted to hear everything Lauryn Hill had ever did. I wanted to hear everything the Fugees had ever did. You guys did an interview with Raw Digger, and I was a big Raw Digger fan. So to have those two on the same mic and Cowboys, two female MCs holding it down, battling back and forth, but it was sisterhood. So even though they were going back and forth, there was still this love and this sisterhood when I heard Raw Digger and Lauryn Hill take the mic. So it was just this notion that I, that I could be in this space and that I didn't have to be an MC per se, but it helped me raise this level of consciousness that I could be a strong black woman and that I, I could move into spaces with males and be sure of myself. And I think it really helped me because I was a basketball player and I played basketball with guys. That is the way I learned to play. And so I was always in this male space. And so to see Lauren Hill and to hear Lauren Hill take over this male space, for me, it just meant so much in my level of confidence, consciousness, and who I could be in these male spaces. Anyone approaches, we like noches, buenos. Then I compose a poem for the many gunslingers, R&B singers, perpetrating guns with two fingers. My style is perhaps one of the foulest. I inhale large clouds of smoke through my chalice. Fucking that star. And write rhymes for hours. The ghetto missing, drinking whiskey but sour. this scenario, can't no other niggas in the barrier. From north to Ontario. Say less when we in stereo. Uh -huh. Cause me and Rashi a rock you're no talent cause you're blazing in your saddle Watch these rap bitches get all up in your pockets Then bounce with accountants that gave me good stock tips Cause props is up Niggas through the roof burning niggas like I'm 90 And for all your head beaters, the lead eaters The cheaters soon to be retreaters While mama seen us carry real heaters I rock the doobie and L rocks the Nubian twist Nine six motherfuckers getting dipped so Rochester is really almost six hours away from New York City. This is beautiful, beautiful. I mean, the, tr the foliage and the trees, it's cold as hell. You can guarantee you're gonna miss about a week of school because there's gonna be some snowstorm, ice storm. It's going to be something. Two degrees, wind chill, with the, the lake right off of it. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. I stayed on the west side. I lived in like a working class, middle class type of neighborhood. Almost every five or six blocks, you hit a rec center. Then we had a huge boys and girls club. So there were just a lot of places for inner city kids, working class kids to go. And so all the kids kind of knew everybody's story. We knew everybody was coming from working class homes. We all took care of each other. You know, my dad would pick me up and drop off every other kid in the block. They were all hopping my dad's car. It was that type of neighborhood. You could play all night. It was this park called Six School. There was an outdoor gym and around seven the lights came on. About midnight, all the ballers came up. And from maybe midnight to almost three in the morning, we would just play. And you didn't have to worry about anything. When I think about Rochester, I really think about the freedom that we had just to be. So much has changed. It's not like that anymore. It's not like that in many inner city places. But when I grew up there, that's what it was. It was fun. I was a ball player. I was a female ball player. 
And the guys made fun of me. Their ritual when I walked in the gym was to like throw basketballs at me. You had to be a tough kid. You had to have thick skin, right? They would talk about your mama, your daddy, your grandmother. And I just absolutely loved that. It was a great, great place at that time. Life will keep existing as I'm shitting on opponents. Life will keep existing as I'm shitting on opponents. Olehi. Everyone wants to be a cowboy. Grab your gun, boy. Olehi. What do you find by my side? Do you live? No, you could die. When I was growing up, there was Xerox, Kodak, Bashalam, Paychecks. So we're talking about major, major corporations. All those corporations are gone. All those jobs are gone. These are some of the biggest U.S. corporations anywhere. And they were all housed in one city in upstate New York. It's funny because, you know, Rochester has an international airport. Rochester? But if you think about during that time in the 80s, Rochester was really a huge hub for all of that technology. And when all those corporations left, you really just left a city that was just hurting from all of these jobs going. And then when these jobs leave, you're talking about just a trickle-down effect of foreclosures, of, of poverty, unemployment, poor schooling. All these things start to happen as these huge corporations leave and leave thousands unemployed. Yo, Duke, you're dead wrong. You'll never have the skills like mine. I write the ill-type rhymes. Now I'm reaching my prime. 360 dunk in your face. You can't compete. You're just a basket case. Let's separate the men from the boys. And put your money where your mouth is. No time for toys. Your game is weak, you geek, so don't sleep. Cause I'll be checking you, wrecking you. When I start to creep through the back door. I know I caught you out there. You got no clout here, and I doubt there. Is any way that you can stop the beat down? You ought to play the background and sit back down. Chumps like you, I gotta keep them in line. So prepare to suffer, boy, cause now you're mine. You're mine. I played in high school. My senior year, I averaged about 30 points, 35 points a game. Got recruited by a lot of the top schools, and then I went off on a uh, full scholarship to Old Dominion University. The year before I went, they had lost to Tennessee in the national championship. It's in Norfolk, Virginia. That was my first trip south, and it was tough. It was tough as an upstate uh, New Yorker to go south. I love the weather, but it was a culture there that I, I was just unaware of. And not to say that racism is not in the north, but I had never seen it so blatant until I came to the south. It was a place where they put athletics over academics by far. You were there to play basketball. And when I started to read more, I started to learn a level of consciousness, I knew that I wanted more than just to play basketball, so I transferred. And in year two, I transferred to the University of Pittsburgh. I went back up, up north. I went back to a big East school. Why I used to go to church. El Boogie dropped the hearse. I woke up this morning. When I, when I came out, everyone was looking at me like, um, you're just figuring this out? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of just figuring this out. I think the last person to know was me. I would say I didn't know I was anything, but I, I knew I had these feelings that were different, but I really didn't know what to do with them at that age. My family was just very open to the idea. My friends were very open to the idea. But I think once again, Rochester allowed me to have that space. When, when someone called me a lesbian or, you know, it, it was out of jokes. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't to say you are this. That's all you could be and put me in that box. 
it was more like, go sit your gay ass down. And I'm like, okay, forget you. I mean, it was, it was always in jokes, it was always in a good time. And so I think when I went off to college, that is where I really started to find this confidence to, to name what I was at that time that I didn't know in high school. You see, I loved hard once, but the love wasn't returned. I found out the man I died for, he wasn't even concerned. In time it turned, he tried to burn me like a perm. Though my eyes saw the deception, my heart wouldn't let me learn from. Um, some dumb woman was I. And every time he'd lie, he would cry, and inside I'd die. My heart must have died a thousand deaths. Compared myself to Tony Braxton, thought I'd never catch my breath. Nothing left, he stole a heart beating from my chest. I tried to call the cops, that type of thief they can't arrest. Pain suppressed, will lead to cardiac arrest. Diamonds deserve diamonds, but he convinced me I was work less when my people would protest I told them mind their business cause my shit was complex more than just a sex I was blessed but couldn't feel it like when I was caressed I'd spend nights clutching my breasts overwhelmed by God's test I was God's best contemplating death with a Gillette no man is ever worth the paradise manifest I mean Lauren did give off that universal vibe it was all love like, I am coming at you, I am speaking to you, I am engaging with you, I am rapping to you in a place first and foremost cemented in love and integrity and humility. And I didn't know those words, I didn't know how to put that together at that time in my life, but I just knew it came from this place that was different than anything I had ever heard before. You know, she said, I love hard once, but the love was in return. I found out the man I died for would have burned me like a perm. I mean, it was just this unbelievable way that she would talk about love that no matter how you sexually identified, you identify with her. It wasn't about who you were with. It was about the feelings you had about that particular person. My first relationship, right? I'm going through this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm having all these emotions and Lauren is help, helping me through it. My daughter, my daughter's named Lauren. So I named my first daughter after Lauren Hill, spelled the same way, because I want my daughter to understand the, the integrity and the love that that woman put in her music. You know, when I think about this work that I do in social justice, she was one of the first people to help me understand what that really meant, because it has to start at a place of love. Black boy fly, black boy fly, black, black boy fly. I used to be jealous of Aaron to follow. I used to be jealous of Aaron to follow. He was the one to follow. He was the one. All right, so Black Boy Fly by Kendrick Lamar. When I first heard this song, I had never heard a song that just told my life story. And even though it's told from the narrative of these two males, a basketball player in the game, the way he talked about not thinking that you were ever going to get out of this place and how he talked about basketball being one of those ways out. I had to stop what I was doing. Cause I'm like, is this, is this guy telling my story? Is he, is he trying not to say my name and tell my story? And when he talks about in the song where, where this basketball player is going to school, he's getting the good grades and he wants to be like this guy. When I was growing up, everybody was going D1. We had no clue what D1 meant. You put a ball through a hoop, I'm going D1. But when the time came to figure out what that meant, it was so many kids, so many of my friends who did not have the foundation to understand what that meant. And that's why I love that song by Kendrick Lamar, because it really helps us think about how that kid was able to rise up out of confidence. It wasn't just putting a basketball through a hoop. I used to be jealous of J.C. Young. I used to be jealous of J.C. Young. Taylor when I was young. And then in the same breath, trying not to be jealous of that kid who makes it out. And in the same breath, hoping that that's not the last kid that makes it out. How do you not be jealous 
when that kid makes it out. And he talks about, you know, my mama didn't raise me to have a jealous spirit. And I, I love that because that's how I was raised. I was raised to enjoy everybody's success, to be excited for everyone. But I wanted that for myself. It was always a struggle. It was always a struggle to, to watch my friends not make it. And I didn't know what to do about that. But I also came from a community that ensured that I made it. From the crackheads to the dope boys. Um, I lived between two gangs. The gangs were called like Black Mob and TKO. And I lived in between these two gangs. So I lived, I think, in like TKO territory, but I played basketball in Black Mob territory. And I would have to walk home in between this stuff. And I was untouchable, not because I was tough. I was untouchable because everybody embraced my talent. Everybody knew that this kid was going to make it out. Leave her alone. My mama didn't raise me up to be jealous hearted Like most of the winners call it Regardless of where you stay, hold your head and continue marching That's what she said, but in my head I wanted to be like Jordan A war touring the country with money from Mike recorded The only way out the ghetto, you know the stereotype Shooting hoops, I live on the I remember there was a time where um, I was riding my bike home I think I was walking home, I had my book bag, I had my sneakers And uh, these two guys tried to take my bike And out of nowhere this other guy comes out. His name was Crip. They called him Crip because he looked like the Crip Keeper off of um, Tales of the Crip. So they called him Crip. And the reason why was because Crip was 12, he was burnt in a fire. And he was a tough guy. But Crip never did anything to me. He didn't say much, but he always just respected me. And so these two kids are trying to, trying to take my bike and Crip comes out the house and he says, you know, leave her alone. And they're like, Crip, come on, man. He's like, leave her alone. I was untouchable. You know, I'll be playing basketball late at night the drug dealers would tell me, love, time to go, and I would go home. So everybody in my community ensured that I made it. And I think that story isn't told enough. I think sometimes our kids just think, hey, this is a kid who makes it out. And they don't talk about all the people who ensure that that kid was safe, that that kid was loved, that that kid got where that kid needed to go. On my 16th birthday, uh, my birthday is in July, July 6th, and I started working on my 16th birthday. I got a job at a local rec center, playing basketball basically. So the local rec center where I played every day, they gave me a job. That was my first job ever. But the job started when school ended in June. They actually waited about a month and a half and held the spot to hire me on my 16th birthday. I mean, so it was just an incredible amount of people who ensured that I would make it out. A school is not just gonna come and give you a basketball scholarship. There's so much work that has to be done in the back of that. There's so much work from your community and nobody tells that story. And that's why I love uh, Black Boy Fly. When I was recruited to, to play college ball, I didn't have the SAT scores. Um, I also didn't have the classes. I went to a vocational high school. My shop was offset printing. So we made business cards and t-shirts for two and a half hours a day. So when, when division one coaches came and they said, kid, let me see your transcripts. I didn't have the transcripts. My athletic director, her name is Judy Knight. She was like my second mom. My son, his middle name is Knight. She was a white lady from Indiana. And I tell this story not because this is like some blindside movie type of thing. This is real. Like she, she helped me. She helped me navigate the system.
because I didn't have the right classes, Ms. Knight put me in night school. I had no lunch and no study halls. I was taking every class that I could take to make up during the day working at night. And so once again, you know, my community coming to me and telling me that, hey, you're going to get out of here. My freshman year, when I realized I didn't want to be at Old Dominion, I was telling Miss Knight, hey, Miss Knight, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it at this place. She came up and she said, um, you can transfer, but you can't come back home. I've listened to you and I've come down here for myself and I think you are right, but we have to find a place for you to go. So we're going to start that process, but you cannot come back home. She just knew that if I, if I got comfortable, I wasn't going to leave. And so I, I, I transferred. I was home for about six weeks uh, in the summer, and that was it. And that was probably the last time I ever, I ever lived, I lived at home. It wasn't the best basketball school, but it was about academics. When I released my contract to play for another school, I started getting calls of people who knew me and how I played. Syracuse, Pittsburgh, you know, back in the day when the Big East was still the Big East. I won't go there. And so um, <laughs> University of Pittsburgh called. And one of my best friends at that time, she had got recruited to go there. And I was like, well, hey, tell them to call me. I'm looking. And I go for an interview and the coach is an African-American woman. Her name is Tracy. And she's like, you know what? You got six hours of study hall a week. If you miss a minute, that's a mile and we track it. So if you have five hours and 58 minutes of study hall, you got two miles. Then I'm gonna add the team up. So if everybody on the team misses study hall by let's say a minute, we got 15 miles to run. And I knew that's where I needed to be. I knew I was like, um, I really don't wanna run 15 miles. I really don't wanna be reprimanded like this, but it was, Everything opposite of what I had experienced at Old Dominion. When I was at Old Dominion, they told me that I could only major in recreation and leisure. I was like, okay. And a lot of it had to do with this notion that I was an urban kid, I went to a terrible high school, and I really couldn't handle anything else. Once I realized that that was a myth, that that was wrong, and I, I started to read, I started to enjoy school, oh, it was no turning back. And I went to Pittsburgh, and that was it. The first time I read Autobiography of Malcolm X. I read uh, Du Bois, and I was turned on after that, and it hasn't stopped since. I knew I was good at something. I knew I was good at academics, and I got to a point that I didn't even want to play basketball anymore. I just wanted to go to school. And I was like, hold on, I forgot. Hold on, I'm here to play basketball. Then I go to school. And then it came to my senior year. It was my fourth year in college. But because I transferred, I had another year to play because I had to sit. But I was graduating on time. And my basketball coach, she came up to me and said, you know, love, what are you going to do? You're graduating. I said, I guess I am graduating. She said, um, you're going to play next year, but what do you want to do? So I started thinking about what I would like to get my master's in, and I knew that I was great with kids. And so I said, I want to get an early childhood education. So I go over to the advisor, and I, and I tell them what I want to do. And they said, uh, well, your GPA is good, but you don't have any of the prerequisites to get in. So here I go again, right? Four years later, 
I go back to my coach and I say, hey, I may, I may just have to just mule around next year because I, I, don't, I don't have the prerequisites. She says, well, what do you need? I need about, about 19 credits short. She says, okay, well, take them. Excuse me? So in one semester, I took 19 credits and she had no problem with that. Took 19 credits, I knocked the prerequisite out, graduated, and then my fifth year at Pitt, I was in the master's program. I was one of the first athletes to be working on their masters at the University of Pittsburgh while playing a sport. It, it was difficult. It was a lot to learn. Like it, the learning curve was serious. I mean, it was so much that I, I, I did not know and so many things I had to pick up on. And that's why hip hop was so important because that was something that I knew. So when I realized that I could like study hip hop, it was the perfect marriage. I had all this knowledge and then I could, I could catch up with this other knowledge. My last year at Pitt, I got hooked up with some professors and they just took me around, showed me how to do research, started doing some research papers with them, started collecting data with them, going out to lunch with them, having these, you know, these arguments that I was starting to form in my head about these things. Um, and then thinking about hip hop the whole time, like, you know, how would an MC form this conversation? Like I'm doing these very hip hop things, not even though I was doing it, but I was drawing on my hip hop identity and my hip hop sensibilities. I was just trying to think about these ways that I could combine my love and my passion and what I felt that I was sent here to do was, was to educate. I had always been great with kids. I was that teacher that the so-called tough kids to deal with, I was able to just hang out with them. And it was always because we had this love of music, that we had a great starting point. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I really wanted to think about the ways in which we can apply and we can put hip hop into classrooms to be instrumental and transformative in kids' lives. For me, hip-hop needs to be in elementary schools. Hip-hop needs to be in high schools. Not just as music, but as culture. And so I am in a higher ed, but I am in higher ed in a school of education. And so I believe that this is one of the most powerful, this isn't the only, but it is the one of the most powerful teaching tools we can use right now to transform classrooms. It's a great book by my mentor, Cynthia Dillard. And the book is called Remembering Things We Have Learned to Forget. And it's this notion that we can remember who we are. And I, I argue that hip hop helps us remember who we are, especially as African-American people with African descent. When you watch babies and they are doing moves that are directly from the continent, they are remembering what they have forgotten. When you see kids battling and telling stories over this beat, this is not new. What we call hip hop is 40 plus years old, but the notion of storytelling and using a beat to tell it, 
That goes back to the griots. When we make these notions that, you know, hip hop doesn't belong in these spaces, it's this notion that the history of who Africans are doesn't belong in these spaces. And so for me, hip hop is an entry point to have larger conversations about African-American history, African-American culture, African-American traditions that are rooted in love, integrity, consciousness, storytelling, intellectual ingenuity, creativity. And so all of those things are what we say higher ed is. So if higher ed is about creativity, it's about nuance, it's about critical thinking, then higher ed and hip hop sound perfect to me. This song is by my favorite group of all time, Outkast, in due time. When I had to choose a song, I knew it was going to be an Outkast song because I'm a huge Outkast fan. CeeLo's voice, first of all, embodies freedom. It embodies struggle, love, progress, and a fight and a will of determination. But it's also a spiritual place. And once again, when I hear CeeLo, it is asking me to recall my history. So people wonder why we here in the first place They can't believe cause they ain't ever seen your face But even when you pray the next day you gotta try Can't wait for nobody to come down out the sky You've got to realize that the world's a test You can only do your best and let them do the rest You've got your life and got your health So quit procrastinating and push it yourself You've got to realize that the world You know, struggling is just a part of my day Many obstacles have been placed in my way And the only reason I make it through is because I never stop believing in you And so this is church For me, this is going to church For me, this is spirituality For me, this is the creator talking And that's why I love this song This is a song that in my weakest moments I can always turn to this outcast song for inspiration And to understand that I'm going to make it It's already destined for me to make it it's about progress. You know, before you can be the butterfly, you got to be the caterpillar, right? You, you are going to be able to do the things you want to do, but you have to play your part. You have to play your position. You have to do it well when you get a chance to do it. You have to be prepared. It's about finding inspiration in yourself. And if you don't, I love who says, you're going to collapse. They make room for you to be who you are. And in the same breath, they inspire you to be more than what you ever thought you could be. Don't take my word, there's stuff in prison that will tell you. That's locked up for a long time and won't sell you no flex. So congregation, will you turn your text to the book about cast? Chapter 2, verse 1, the first one to feel me. Jump up and make a joyful noise, you've outcasted. Meaning, now you have a choice like that. I'm not an only child, but I am an only child. Let me explain. My brother is 15 years older than me. My sister is 10. So my brother and my father was originally from Jacksonville, Florida. And even though we grew up in upstate New York, my father and my brother, they embraced their southerness. They were those people in upstate New York that did not care they were upstate New York. I'm southern by heart. I always had this appreciation for Southern. You know, I was six years old. He's my big brother. So everything he says and does is just dope at that time. 
so he loved Outkast. I loved Outkast. And then when I finally got to an age to really understand how good their music was, how intellectual their music was, how inspiring their music was, I was even more hooked. because Outkast has always been a part of my life in so many different ways. So when I was 16, I was listening to, um, you know, you need to get up, get out, and get something. When I started making a little money, started having a little career, elevators came, right? I heard a call from the day, save some, name some, talk about, you know, that was just like, oh, well, I can't believe this dude. And then my kids, uh, local YMCA that has an early learning center. It's a really unbelievable learning center. It's great. It sits on a golf course in the middle of Atlanta, Georgia. And two weeks ago, big boy is in my kid's school handing over a check. And no fanfare, no big announcement. He just came to the, to the YMCA and they, you know, he dropped off a check. To think that this group that I have been loving and supporting all of my adult life that money is now supporting my kids' education. When I heard that, I was just even almost to tears just to think how this thing has come full circle with their music in my life. How will you make it if you never even try? You need to get up, get out, and get something. Cause you and I got to do for you and I. When I was teaching, I saw kids who felt as though school had nothing for them. I saw kids who were incredibly smart, who could navigate their communities, had this way of being that was brilliant. And official school curriculum did not recognize them for that. These were the kids who were labeled unteachable. These were the kids who were labeled special ed. And that really just drove me crazy. And so what drove me back to get my PhD was to really think about ways that we could start to call those kids genius. I knew that hip hop could be a way for those kids to express how smart they were. Like when I started my PhD program, every paper that I did was on hip hop. If the professor assigned the book that wasn't hip hop, I would ask, hey, can I read this book that's hip hop? That's my research area. This is what I want to do. And so when it became time to do my dissertation, I had already had my lit review because I was so focused on thinking about ways in which we could bring hip hop into the classroom. And then I got my feelings hurt. I read an article, a Souls article, and it just flipped hip hop. It came at hip hop from a different way. It was very critical with hip hop. 
It helped me work through my romanticized notions of hip hop. And it really made me think about, it's more than just bringing hip hop into the classroom. Before we can even bring hip hop into the classroom, we have to start talking to kids, asking them questions, understanding how they engage with hip hop. If it's embedded in the American ethos, which is capitalism, sexism, patriarchy, and all that stuff, then how do we help kids also deal through that? That really helped me have a fuller picture of the kind of research that I wanted to do. And that's where I had this notion it had to be about culture. So I wanted to talk more about culture. And so if the kids understand the culture and their culture, that is more of a, a starting place than to start with rap or just in general with hip hop. Now I know it's on. My day has finally started. Back up in my crib, beat my shit, break out quick in my slick. 80 bucks I land the bill, steady bouncing out the point to Camerton Road. The valley of the south side flow. Everybody know about that killer that we call flow. So keep your eyes peeled for the Cobra unit, cause they know for jumping out of black Chevy choice and through the ball. He comes the red dogs. I'm busting out around the corner in my hall. Dipping from the area, I'm scared. So one of these witches might wind up dead. My recent work is really around the fifth element of hip-hop, knowledge of self. Really trying to get kids to understand that hip-hop has everything to do with you understanding who you are first. And how do you understand who you are? How do you examine your community? How do you examine people who have a history, a long history, who look like you? And then from there, we can start to understand what our culture is. So we study, we study the history of hip-hop. I do work out of a local uh, charter school in Atlanta, Georgia called Kendezi. And the work that I do at the school is I teach sixth graders how to use hip-hop for justice. So we did a movie on Trayvon Martin. Our last movie was on Ella Baker and how Ella Baker connects to hip-hop. What I want them to understand first and foremost is that they come from amazing people who have done amazing work and that's part of their culture. And so I think it's unpacking all the things that make them them and helping them tell that story, letting them tell me what makes them them, not me telling them, hey, this is your culture. I want them to tell me what their culture is. And then from there, we're gonna start to investigate. We're gonna start to do research on these individuals. And from there, we can start to make very detailed understanding about particular spaces and time and particular people. And then from there, use our hip hop sensibilities to document that. And so, you know, a kid may want to draw, a kid may want to do a rap, a kid may want to create a beat, a kid may want to create a t-shirt. All these things are elements of hip hop culture. How do you want to tell me what you just learned? And so I just want people to understand that the students that we say that we want, we have them. We're just not tapping into them in ways in which that they can show their geniusness. Damn, that's fucked up. I should have listened when my mama told me that. If you play now, you're gonna suffer later. Figure she was talking yang yang, so I paid her no attention. I kept missing the point she tried to poke me with. The doper that I get, the more I'm feeling broke as shit. Huh. But that don't matter though, I am an old UT cast. So get up off your ass. Hip hop for me is a very queer space. So any space that is pushing back on binaries, any space that is, is trying to get us to think differently about what's normal, I think that's a very good basis for a queer space. So hip hop for me is that. For my kids, I'm not gonna come at it like hip hop is a queer space, right? That's that's for the papers that we have to write. It's to, to use hip hop as a springboard to have those deeper conversations. I remember I was doing a lesson with the kids and they were writing their rap for the Trayvon Martin piece that we did, the movie that we made. And one kid said to me, Dr. Love, what is classism? I said, like, how do I explain classism to a fifth grader? I was like, no, it's, it's like we're, 
when people with money don't really like you. That's classism. Like they're like, oh, okay, I get it. And so I, I think it's more than just about hip hop, but it's also about bringing these things to life in the classroom. For my hip hop class with my, my sixth graders this year, it was on a Wednesday and it was the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. And so we had a great conversation about Bernard Rustin, which was, at that time was an openly gay organizer for King. And I'm asking my students, why do you think he's not in the textbooks? And I said, one big reason you don't hear about him is because he was openly gay. And the kids were like, well, that's not fair. That's not right. And so using hip hop as a lens to have these more vivid conversations, I think is where we start. And for having them to be able to question and to think through these things through hip hop is to lay seeds. I don't want my kids to stop listening to Rick Ross. I'm not a Rick Ross fan. If they want to listen to Rick Ross, I want them to listen to Rick Ross. But my my joy is when they listen to Rick Ross with a consciousness. That's where my joy comes in, where they can listen to Rick Ross and say, uh, this is I'm just listening to have some fun. Rather listen to Rick Ross and say, this is real. Right. Because Rick Ross isn't real for them to start to be able to critique and to consume, to critique and to be consumers who are critical thinkers. Even share my triple beam dream. A project-minded, individual, criminal tactics. Us black kids born with birth defects. We hyperactive, mentally sex-crazed, dysfunctional. They describe us. They lie as the end of the day with fucking survivors. I remember watching Scarface the first time. Look at that big house that Porsche paid for by crime. How could I sell this poison to my peoples in my mind? They dumb and destroy themselves is how I rationalize. In a bastardized nation, magnum for five Carrying. Where I'm from ain't far from Washington Heights to cop Aryan uh, A rookie boy, the cookie didn't make no profit A stranger to the block, I damn they had to make them cop it It only took a fiend to taste it once to say it's garbage I brought it back to Poppy, ain't trying to take no losses He focuses on my emotionless I think hip-hop matters because the lives of urban kids matter The lives of all of our kids matter And there is nothing more powerful than individuals getting to tell their stories Understanding that their stories matter, their lives matter, who they love matter, what they want to do with their life matters. And hip hop, to me, embraces all of that. Hip hop education, for me, embraces all of that. So I think hip hop matters because the stories of our kids matter. Blaming society, man, it wasn't made fair. I would be Ivy League if America played fair. Poor excuse. And so I was throwing rocks at the pen just for the love or for the evil, the secret life of G's. You seeing me blurry, triple beam dream. Pocket full of money, parking lot full of them haters. Triple beam dreaming, crib with two elevators. 20 flat screens and got cameras every angle. Dope pink coming so you know the income major.